The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of royal peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Almost half of the base of the Republican Party showing up for this caucus tonight voted against Donald Trump. Think about that. So I think that is telling. It tells you the weakness of Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is representative of, I think, everything that is wrong with the uh, current environment in politics. But you still had roughly half of the Iowa caucus goers that made another choice. They're going to nominate him nationwide? Yeah. Yeah. When even a third of Iowa caucus goers well, and- say, no, he can't be president if he's convicted? I'm sorry, but he's going to be I'm just puzzled by it because I look at Donald Trump and walking around in Iowa, he looked like he was in his last breath a couple of times. I don't see how she becomes the nominee of that party with Donald Trump still around. I can't picture it happening. Maybe it could happen. Ron DeSantis's only argument for staying in it is he's the white guy that he can still make the appeal to whitey. While we have- is that these are white Christians. That this is a state that is overrepresented, overrepresented by white Christians that are going to participate in these tonight. caucuses, yes. especially tonight. Iowa, and this is a hyper evangelical st- white state. And in Iowa, we're talking about evangelical white Christians, and he- they see themselves as the rightful inheritors of this country. And Trump has promised to give it yeah. back to them. And that everyone who is not a white conservative Christian is a fr- is a fraudulent American. Because Donald Trump's victory in Iowa is being sold as a great night for him since it solidifies the four times indicted former president's place atop the Republican field. When you really get down to it, though, it is a win that's as unimpressive as it is uninspiring. Yes, it shows the Republican Party is still Donald Trump's party. Although getting 51 percent while basically running as a presidential incumbent isn't a great sign since real talk. 48% of Iowans said, actually, maybe not. That's got to be the dumbest take on the landslide victory for Donald Trump the other night. The fact that it's unimpressive. The fact that uh, almost half of Iowans voted against Trump. I mean, with that logic, you say, wow, 79% voted against DeSantis. 81% voted against Nikki Haley. And then... Then the, the racism to, to go on and on about the white Christian national, the white people, that's the problem. That's the problem with those that do support Trump. It's all of those dangerous whites, says Joy Reid. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show. After the big show yesterday, it kind of, uh, it, well, it, snuck up on us the interview with Lee Smith. It was a riveting uh, exchange that went on for about 20 minutes. Uh, We didn't draw as much attention to it in the lead up to it as we uh, should have. In any event, it's posted at our website. Just go to TrumpetDaily.com or go to the Rumble channel. That's rumble.com forward slash Trumpet Daily. And you can watch that that interview with the the distinguished (laughs) veteran journalist, Lee Smith, who's traveled the world, he's an expert on Middle East affairs, and we didn't even really have a chance to talk a lot 
about that because I was a little more interested in the attack on uh, Donald Trump, the, the ongoing attack on Donald Trump. But, uh, but that interview, it's at the front end of yesterday's show, and just go to either of the, the websites, our website or the Rumble channel, to watch that. If you'd like to send in a comment uh, following that interview, the uh, email address, it's tdatthetrumpet.com. So here's Tucker. He came out with a 15, 16-minute uh, video yesterday uh, pointing out how the media, the regime media, they're very upset by what's happening here. Uh, Trump was supposed to be gone long ago. So here they pull the racism card out of their hats yet again. This is uh, clip 10. But they're very upset. And at some point, it'll be interesting after all these many years to discover why a certain sort of person fears Donald Trump to the point of hysteria. There's an awful lot going on there, much more than we publicly acknowledge. But in the meantime, it is enough to know who NBC News believes is at fault for yesterday's history-altering calamity in Iowa. It was the whites, the Christian whites. But it's not just NBC that feels this way. Joe Biden's entire re-election message is based on hating these dangerous Christian whites. His entire, his entire re-election message, it's aimed at these dangerous whites. Donald Trump's dangerous his, and now it's his MAGA supporters. They're the ones pushing Trump, as you heard from the clip we played yesterday. Trump, I mean, for his part, he's in New Hampshire now. Vivek is with him. Speaking, I've got a clip from him here in just a second. But Trump's in New Hampshire, and he's basically saying, look, all of this persecution, all of these crazy indictments, he's calling them the Biden indictments now. Because it's, it's Joe Obama that's orchestrating all of this lawfare. But he's in New Hampshire saying, thanks to the indictments, I'm running away with it. Listen to him from yesterday, clip nine. They've weaponized the DOJ. They go after their political opponent. Now, in this particular case, it didn't work out so well. So our polls are at record numbers, like last night. We won in the history of Iowa. Nobody's ever come close to getting the kind of numbers I got. If I didn't get indicted all these times, and if they didn't unfairly go after, I would have won. But it would have been much closer, I tell you. I don't know if I would have made the trade. I might have just liked the position we're in right now. Since 1976, no Republican has gotten more than 50% of the the caucus vote in uh, Iowa. Nobody. I mean, it's unprecedented. He's, He's running away with it. It's a landslide victory. And yet listening to these people, listen again to, we talked about the media, the regime media yesterday. This was uh, Donald Trump talking about the media censoring him after he had this landslide victory, clip eight. Last night, it was amazing. NBC and CNN refused to air my victory speech. Think of it. Because they are crooked, they're dishonest, and frankly, they should have their licenses or whatever they have taken away they put on they put on nikki haley she came in third a distant third like i mean a distant third and they put on ronda sanctimonious who came in a boring second just think about what that tells you the message that that sends the ron DeSantis. they play his his speech where he says they got their ticket punched to new hampshire and then they play nikki haley's speech where you would have thought she won. 
but not Donald Trump. Not the bad orange man. Not the man who pulled in 51%. Now, he has to be censored. He has to be censored because the only people really supporting him are those white Christian nationalists. This is from uh, the New York Post earlier today. Michael Goodwin writes, Forget the calendar. When it comes to media coverage of Donald Trump, it's 2016 all over again. I mean, we're eight years on from it. And they're, they're going from the same playbook eight years later, proving they remain infected by a fact-resistant virus. Most members of the self-proclaimed smart set are once again horrified by GOP voters. What did uh, Hillary Clinton call them? Deplorables. <laughs> there was someone on MSNBC this morning who used the same term. She said to, to the morning meltdown people, look, I, uh, I'm not going to go there. Well, I guess I will go there. Hillary called them deplorables. She was right. And so here we are again. Just insult, insult the supporters of Donald Trump. They're white supremacists. They're white Christian nationalists. Joy Reid can't say it enough. It says here, repeating the contempt they displayed when Trump won the nomination and the White House eight years ago, they are also furious that their nightmare could be happening again. Look, for eight years we've told you he's Hitler. How could you possibly vote for him? It says here, how can it be that their fellow Americans remain so stupid after they've repeatedly explained Trump's flaws, why do voters refuse to listen to their media masters? It says the New York Times certainly doesn't have any qualms about looking on middle America and the people who live, looking down, I should say, on the people who live there. The responsibility of Republican voters, it declared in a Sunday editorial, is to nominate a candidate who is fit to serve as president. Look, this is your responsibility. You've got to make sure you, 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 you vote for someone who's fit. And of course, Donald Trump is not fit for office. So how dare you? 51%, a landslide. And then they come out, they come out again with the dumbest take that, well, you know, maybe that's not so impressive. Joe, Joe Scarborough, what did he say this morning? <laughs> this is from uh, the news stack. I didn't have time to put it in my notes. I want to look at it another way, Scarborough said. If Barack Obama took four years off and then ran in a Democratic caucus in Iowa, would 50% of Democrats vote against Barack Obama? Well, would the Democrat establishment put forward guys like Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley to oppose Obama? No, the Democrats would say, you're not going to run against Obama. He's going to go it alone and get his 80-90% because there's no one else in the race. They lined up all of them. Chris Christie, they, I forget all the names. Chris Christie, by the way, he still, I think he got 35 votes the other night. So 99.7% of Iowans voted against him. I mean, he must be Hitler. This is, this is direct, Trump derangement syndrome. That's what you call this. We see it every day, don't we? It says, not that it would matter because the Times hasn't endorsed a Republican for president since Dwight Eisenhower in 1956. <laughs> the New York Times 
the paper of record, it's been called. This is a, a tweet from Simon uh, Adaba. He's the, the guy that kind of spars with uh, the French lady from time to time because he doesn't feel like she, uh, she gives him enough questions or opportunities to ask questions. But he says here, this is an interesting insight. He says here, when Nikki Haley said this is now a two-man race after losing Iowa, it was not about Trump. She was referring to DeSantis and herself. That's interesting, isn't it? Because either he's right or Nikki Haley's not very good at basic math. She came in third and said, now it's down to a two-man race. I think he might be right. I think Nikki Haley, as part of the establishment, she is backed by the establishment, Republicans and Democrats. And Donald, in her mind, it's just like with the New York Times, the editorial on Sunday. Donald Trump doesn't count. It doesn't matter if 76% turn out to vote for Trump. He doesn't count. He must be stopped. He must be destroyed. This is not normal, is it? This is not normal. In the history of presidential elections, when has this kind of thing happened? For eight years we've seen this. Trump is too dangerous to become president again, and they won't let it happen at all costs. He says, it is war. What did we say last year in the January issue of The Trumpet? You've got to be ready for war. This journalist says, actually, the left, the deep state, and the D.C. establishment believe that Trump is an existential threat to the United States of America, and his MAGA base has been brainwashed, and they have to take things into their own hands. They must stop him at all costs, and they will do it through the courts and eliminate him. If that you heard Rachel Maddow there in the cold open, he's going to be indicted. If that does not work, they might go further to the final option. I'll refrain from mentioning it here. Only a few people have gone so far as to mention that. Vivek Ramaswamy, he has. Tucker has. Further on, Simon says, there are, there are three wars that we are facing. The media war to win over independence, the legal war to disqualify Trump, and the deep state war to reportedly save America from Trump. He says these wars will happen at the same time, and uh, the months ahead will be tumultuous. War in 24. That's what we keep saying. The months ahead, less than 11 months now. What will they do? to get Trump, to stop Trump. I mentioned Vivek, he's in New Hampshire, or he was with Donald Trump yesterday in Atkinson, New Hampshire. And uh, this is what he had to say, clip seven. We are in the middle of a war in this country. That's what this is. It's not a war between black and white. It's not between Democrat and Republican, even in a deeper sense. It's between the permanent state and the everyday citizen. Between those of us who love the United States of America and a fringe minority who hates this country and what we stand for. And right now we need a commander-in-chief who will lead us to victory in this war. It's the ordinary uh, citizens against 
those, the elites, the ruling class who hate, who hate this country. Yesterday, uh, Lee Smith, he referred to Barack Obama as a psychopath, as, a, as an agent of chaos. This was in the, the Hill just today. Former President Obama believes there would be uh, incalculable damage if former President Trump were to win re-election this year. That's according to the former Attorney General, Eric Holder, his wingman, speaking for Obama. A week or two ago, Michelle Obama says she's terrified at the thought of Trump returning. The Hill says in an interview with USA Today, Holder, a close friend of Obama, said that he and the former president both believe that the damage would be great if Trump were to win the 2024 election. He says, I think that's what motivates him, Holder said of Obama. I think that's what will continue to motivate him. That's all that motivates these people. Get Trump. Get Trump. Are they motivated by Joe Obama's platform? P- play the latest. This is the latest <laughs> campaign ad. Look at these two together. They don't even look like they're enjoying being with each other. But this is Barack, the dear leader together with the puppet. And they're, they're asking for, for money. Play that clip if you have it. Our democracy depends on you. It really does, folks. That's no joke. That's why we need you. We need your help to ensure Joe's leadership continues to guide us forward. We know the other side won't rest, so we can't either. Your donation will help give Joe and Kamala's campaign the resources it needs. Let's make history again. Chip in now. Let's secure a better future together. They're not going to get 51% of the vote in the presidential election. Not unless they manufacture the ballots like they did three years ago. Now, I will say, they are raking in, because of some very powerful, powerful, and wealthy communist Democrat donors, they have a ton of money in the coffers. They certainly do. And they're going to pull out all the stops. It's win at all costs, no matter what. They've got to win. But look at those two. Who's going to vote for that? I mean, just ordinary American citizen. Leave aside the white nationalists or whoever, the, uh, the Christian, the white Christians. People are looking at what's happened in three years and saying, we just want to bring down inflation. We just want the, the illegal immigration to stop. We want to save our cities from dying. That's what normal people think, but not these kinds of people. These people are drunk on power. They're drunk. And as far as they're concerned, they're not giving up hope on Nikki Haley. They'd be, they'd be quite happy for Nikki Haley to beat the fake president, as long as it's an establishment type. Even DeSantis is being exposed more and more as being of the establishment. He's done a pretty good job in Florida, but the longer, just like Laura Ingram said last night, I mean, the longer he stays in the race, the more it hurts him politically. I mean, as far as his future is concerned, it shows you the powerful forces at play here to just, at whatever the cost, just get Donald Trump. They spent $250 million, Haley and DeSantis, and then they come out of Iowa talking like they won, of all things. 
listen to Tucker Carlson as he uh, talks about the movement behind Nikki, Nikki Haley. This is clip 11. But for now, they have a more pressing problem on their hands. And that's how to stop Donald Trump and his white Christian campaign. And that's a tough one. And it's made tougher by last night's results. Thankfully, they have a plan. And the plan is Nikki Haley. Now, Haley, frankly, underperformed last night. They told us she was surging in Iowa. She was not surging. Nobody really likes her. She came in third by a thin margin. And that denies the media the chance to declare her the one true alternative to Donald Trump. But don't expect them to give up on Nikki Haley. A Nikki Haley presidency is a lot like a war with Iran. It's a terrible idea. No normal person wants it. But because a small, well-funded group of extremely enthusiastic activists are determined to have it anyway, we are perpetually on the verge of getting it. A small, well-funded group of extremists, really. That's what's uh, behind this movement to get Trump. Even the New York Post, a little surprised by this commentary, it says the window remains cracked open only as long as Trump's opponents don't succumb to despair. Trump's win is far less impressive than he and so many of his frenemies in the media would have you believe. It's not really that impressive. I mean, they sound like they sound like Joe Scarborough. They sound like uh, the governor of Illinois. Even DeSantis is singing this tune. Hey, almost half voted for someone other than Trump, says the man backed by $150 million. A small group of powerful people and wealthy. The Post says next week's New Hampshire primary is expected to be much closer than Iowa's caucuses. So Haley, she's already bowing out of uh, the debate with DeSantis. She's been exposed in the debates that, well, really, that nobody's watched. But still, she's being exposed as a, a good old rhino Republican. She's of the establishment. She's been inspired by Hillary Clinton. She said it. She's of the Uniparty. And she's got a lot of financial backing, for sure. 19% of the vote in Iowa and that's not even telling, if you had an honest media, that's not even telling the whole story there, is it? That 19%. Listen to Laura Ingram from Fox News last night, clip 13. Now, the numbers showed Haley getting about 19% of the caucus votes. But what I wanted to say last night when I was on with Brett and Martha, and I've forgotten the, in the excitement of the moment, was the real percentage of Republican support she received is even lower. Because at the three precinct caucuses that I attended, Democrats turned out in huge numbers to support her. One of the caucus uh, temporary chairs told me that it was about a half of the people in the caucuses where I was were actually Democrats. So these people hate Trump. They want to stop him by any means necessary. And they know that Nikki Haley, to them at least, is the most similar to Biden in the Republican field on issues from DEI to trade and the border. Half of them, at least at the caucus she was at, half of them Democrats. The hate Trumpers. They hate Trump. And we got to do whatever we can to stop him. Richard, uh, I think it's Richard. What's his name? Richard Dearlove used to be the UK's spy chief. He was right in there with Halper and working with Brennan and helping with the dirty dossier. He's a, he's a former member of the Get Trump movement. He was on with uh, Sky News 
over the weekend, at being asked about a lot of geopolitical issues, and then he just volunteers a little, a little of his take on the forthcoming U.S. election. This is clip six. But I think it's important, but I'm not a politician. You have to add a political threat, which I'm worried about, which is uh, Trump's I thought that I, re-election, I, which I think for the U.K.'s national security is problematic. National security? He's worried about another threat. He, like Obama, like Michelle Obama, he is terrified at the thought of Donald Trump's return. Let me just take you back a few years. This is from The Federalist in 2019. Margot uh, Cleveland, she writes, Stephen Halper features prominently in the plot, the plot to destroy Trump, all but officially outed by the government as a CIA source. The aging academic had contact with at least four members of the Trump campaign. Halper's job of connecting targets with Russians, however, dates back to January 2014 when he worked at Cambridge University alongside Sir Richard Dearlove, the guy you just saw there, the former director of the British Intelligence Service, MI6, and Christopher Andrew, the official historian for the British Counterintelligence Group. So there you go. All of these Antiochus, all of these Antiochus operatives, they're coming out of the woodwork saying, look, we got to stop Trump. That was the whole purpose for the dirty dossier. And Peter Strzok and Page and McCabe and Comey, all of them. The Mueller investigation, the spying, the four indictments, the two impeachments, all of this. This is uh, from The Hill regarding that soundbite we just played for you. It says, the former head of the United Kingdom spy agency said a potential second term for former President Trump is a national security threat to his country. Can you imagine? <laughs> it's not like Trump doesn't have a record to run on. He was there for, for four years. He was there for four years and there were no wars under his watch that the U.S. was involved in anyway. And yes, he was going around Europe saying, look, you guys need to pay your fair share. We're, uh, we're providing you this umbrella of protection and security, but we can't provide all the funding. So he's terrified. <laughs> Brennan's boy is terrified, just like Michelle Obama. John Kerry, he stepped down from whatever post he had with the climate change fanatics. And uh, listen to what he said yesterday about uh, campaigning. For, uh, for Joe Obama, clip three. I will campaign for President Biden. I will certainly, because the stakes could not be higher for our country, for the world. The stakes are as high as they get, and as high as I've seen in the course of my public service. So I am going to campaign very happily, because I think he's done a terrific job. He's shown experience. He's kept us from, you know, having a, 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 you know, a complete breakout of uncontrolled war in many regions. He's kept us, he caught himself there at the end because he was about to say he's kept us out of wars and there's wars all over the place. So he's talking about then, well, the complete, I guess the complete breakout of wars, he's, he's protecting us. You see, they go on and on about what Trump might or could do and then they lie. They just lie and they repeat the lies over and again. 
This was on, uh, probably on Air Force One. It's just the audio. But listen to KJP as she, uh, she comments on the January the so-called insurrection from January 6th, clip four. The president said this over and over again about January 6th and how dangerous it was, right? You know, I've said that the president has been very clear. He's going to stand against uh, these types of conspiracy theories. Uh, uh, let's not forget officers died, right? Police officers died on that uh, because of the injuries that they sustained on that date. Here again, she caught herself. She was about to say police officers died on that day and then corrected herself midstream to say police officers died later of injuries they they got on that day, which isn't true either. But she knows. You see, she knows a lot of people understand. They understand. After all these documentaries, Tuckers and whoever else is, they know that no police officers died that day. And that the only four people who died were all Trump supporters. But they carry on with their lies. So much of it, of course, is being exposed. And no wonder the bad orange man is just running away with it in Iowa. Landslide victory. And then you look at the, uh, <laughs> you look at the campaign ad with Barack Obama and then Joe Biden there to tell you it's no joke, you know. It's no joke. We need money. This is from Politico. This is kind of interesting, by the way. Obama, it says, for all of his lofty rhetoric, is at his heart a technocrat. His team put together the most sophisticated campaign machinery of the modern era and prided itself on analytics and a field operation that remains unmatched. Many think Obama's decision to shuttle key White House advisors to the campaign in early 2011 was also critical and should be mirrored by uh, Biden. There's a treasure trove of experience in the White House. I mean, one of the issues is it's all in the White House, said David Axelrod, Obama's former chief strategist. Probably some, uh, some of it should be sitting over at the, the campaign. It says Biden has never been an organizational wizard. <laughs> That's putting it nicely. Instead, he has often relied on his instincts and guts he has worked within the Democratic Party, heavily leaning on the DNC apparatus, particularly in the months before he started staffing up his campaign rather than alongside it. So there's a beef here, I guess, between the two. Obama doesn't like the way Biden's people are running the campaign. Biden doesn't even know what's going on half the time. So they're concerned. I mean, they're being exposed on the one hand, and then they're, they're caught in a bit of a bind. They're, I'm sure there's a way the Democrat Party can get someone else in there. But, you know, if you look at the current president, you would think, well, the, the one, the obvious choice would be his vice president. And as unbelievable as it, as it is to say this, she's actually less popular than the fake president. It says here, the vibe was that the campaign didn't have its act together, just to clean this up a little bit, said a second Democrat of the, of the mood at the Obama alumni gathering about Biden's team. It says finally there, there wasn't infrastructure in the states. There wasn't a beefed up campaign headquarters. And compared to where Obama was in 2011, the campaign was fairly anemic. <laughs> so there's a, you know, saying the quiet part out loud over at Politico. Even as these same talking heads, after Trump gets a landslide victory 
After all of this persecution, seven, eight years, he pulls in 51% in Iowa for the first time in history, going up, going up against two other candidates backed by $250 million. And what does the regime say in response? It's not really that impressive. Yeah, we, really, really, Trump's victory on Monday shows that he's in trouble. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. What has happened to the United States of America? The wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history is suddenly divided, weakened, radical. The evil in America has grown powerful. The good has grown weak. The honorable parts of American history are succumbing to a direct, targeted, sustained assault. Someone, something, is dismantling America's history, purpose, and character. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Political dysfunction, social strife, economic peril, catastrophic moral failure, fires, attacks, riots, lies. The nation is being attacked from within by its own leaders. Powerful elites in government, journalism, academia, and beyond are intentionally, rapidly destroying what America is in order to make it into something else. There is a reason why your nation is crumbling before your eyes. There is a spirit and a specific perpetrator that is attempting to blot out America. Only America Under Attack reveals that perpetrator and the motive and spirit behind him. This newly expanded book shows you the reason why America has changed so dramatically, so suddenly. If you're confused and concerned about what is happening to America, request your free copy of America Under Attack by Gerald Flurry at thetrumpet.com. You know, as I was reading, uh, hurrying through, skimming parts of it, I suppose, uh, The Permanent Coup by Lee Smith the other night, I was just sitting there at my, uh, at my desk or in my study thinking, you know, this is America under attack. There, and there's, it's not the only book that's out there that's exposing the real coup, the real insurrection. We've, we've I mean, we can see far enough back now in the rearview mirror to where you're, you're connecting all these dots. And it's so obvious. It's so obvious. America under attack. If you haven't uh, ordered that, this has been around for 10 years, 12, 11 years now, I guess. If you don't have a copy yet, make sure that you call our operators. The 800 number there is at the, the bottom of your screen. The last time we uh, had a Bible study, I, I finished off with 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 19, which says the, the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. It's fo- God sees worldly wisdom as foolishness. He says in Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. <laughs> the, I mean, people can, they can <laughs> climb up to a high and lofty position in this world. But what does God, how does God see it? All of this pride and vanity, all of this, this open defiance against him and his law, the hostility 
that's there, as Romans 8, 7 says. The heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked, the prophet Jeremiah said. We need God's righteousness. We need to be seekers, diligent seekers of God's kingdom and His righteousness. His righteousness, I should say. We need to dig in to the Word of God and study it like, uh, like the Bereans did over there in Acts 17. Diligent seekers searching the Scriptures daily, it says. 1 Samuel 3, it speaks of a young Samuel who was a, a very diligent student when he was in his teen years. Verse 19 of that chapter says, And Samuel grew, and the Eternal was with him, and uh, did let none of his words fall to the ground. I mean, think about that. He was just a teenager, and yet this teenager, this remarkable teenager, just wouldn't let the Word of God fall to the ground. He hungered and thirsted for God's truth, for God's righteousness. And that's what Jesus said. At the Mount of Olives there, Matthew 5, he said we have to be hungry spiritually and thirst for God's way of life. We don't want to let anything go to waste. We want to be like the disciples in John 6 when Jesus said, go and gather up the scraps after that tremendous miracle feeding thousands of people. He said, gather up the scraps and they just had basket after basket of scraps that they had collected. Every single morsel, you find it and put it into these baskets. Same attitude, same approach that Samuel took, spiritually speaking. Chapter 5 of The Form of Prophets. This is a, a book by my father. I don't have a copy up here on the desk, but it's a great read. Um, and you can also call our operators to get a free copy of that. Or, or with any of our literature, you can uh, visit our website, and get to the literature right away. There's no cost, no obligation. The website's free. There's no ads on it. The, the literature, if you want hard copies, that's uh, offered to you freely. Freely you have received, freely give. That's what the Bible says. And that's what we try to do. There's a few things we charge for here and there, but for the most part, we're here to just give truth to you, the, the, the viewer, the, the reader, in chapter 5 of the Form of Prophets, it says, We are in God's remnant church because we didn't let those words drop. But we must keep improving. After all, God is going to set the world upon our shoulders. That's a reference to a beautiful prayer recorded over in 1 Samuel 2. You can look at that on your own time. But my father says here, we, we will need every word, every little bit of education God gives us. I know that in my life. He says, I really need every bit of education God has given me and still need a lot more. We just need more and more of true education. I was mentioning this to the students just last week. I said, when I came out of college, I didn't have a lot of college education. Uh, and when these publications were just starting out, I mean, the trumpet's been around for uh, 30 plus years now, but when they were just starting out, we didn't really have much of an editorial staff, and even the, the print quality of the trumpet wasn't anything like it is today. 
me today, we have a large editorial group and editors, proofreaders, and we have uh, artists and designers and so on. But, but back then, I can remember my father giving me books on uh, how to write because <laughs> I didn't know how. So as I was telling the students, I mean, we need to know how to learn and how to express or to communicate God's ideas. We need to learn how to, to speak effectively. Some of that improvement over the years, I suppose, can come from experience. But you've probably heard it said so many times, even in the professional world, it's quite possible to get complacent, to stagnate, to maybe plateau a little bit if you don't keep pushing and prodding yourself to learn more in the spiritual sense. That's what my father's getting at with that quote. We need this education He's someone, by the way, that sets a good example in just pushing himself. Even into his 80s now, he's pushed himself to continue to dig into God's truth, to hunger and thirst for God's way of life. In the Last Hour book, it says, In Herbert W. Armstrong College, our students are taught how to write and speak like kings and priests. I was just going through sections of the New Throne of David book this morning in class. And uh, pointing out how that when God gave us that book, that truth, back in 2017, I mean, it just automatically raised the standard in God's church, in God's work. And as I was saying this morning, I mean, we've got to elevate our mindset, our depth of thought, our ability to communicate this royal message. We've got to see ourselves as the royal wife that we are to be married to Jesus Christ. The bride will have made herself ready, as it says in Revelation 19. The Last Hour book says, We have a message that must be communicated to all humanity. Receiving God's message is just half of the responsibility. The second part is communicating it. And what a communication job. This message must be delivered to every person ever born a mystery hidden from for ages and ages paul said and we've got to get out there and make it known <laughs> we've got to broadcast this truth to the largest audience possible that's the vision that herbert armstrong had for mystery of the ages i was talking this morning about the impact of his ministry on the uk back in the 1960s and 70s I talked the other day about the impact that the United States and Britain and prophecy had on this nation, the United States. How that it went right around the world. Six million copies of that, that, that book. I mean, people, people trying to sell books. And I know that, like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12, there's a jillion of them. And they're coming, there's more and more coming out every single year. But, you know, people in, in this world get pretty excited if they can sell you know, 40 or 50,000 books. This one went around the world to 6 million addresses. The United States and Britain in prophecy. You don't want to forget about this message. This is, uh, this is really a foundational understanding for all of Bible prophecy. A third of your Bible is prophecy. And you can't understand it without the master key. This is the master key. I mean, this opens your mind to understand the truth of one-third of your Bible. That's awesome. 
It says here, what good is the message if it's not declared and taught? What a failure if we don't deliver our Father's message. What a calamity. Now is the time to be a witness for God. Peter said that we always need to be ready to speak up and give an answer. God's people don't go door to door and try to, you know, force the truth on people, but we certainly proclaim. And if the door swings open and there's a willing listener or disciple, we want to be ready to teach. We want to be ready to give them the truth of God. Now, a lot of that can be done in the form of just referring them to our website or, or the 800 number so that they can get their own copy of Mystery of the Ages or the United States and Britain and Prophecy. But at the same time, we've, already, we've always got to be ready to give an answer. Someone at work that asks you why you believe what you do or why you keep this special holy day or observe this special holy day, why you don't work on the Sabbath, those kinds of things. You've got to be ready to answer. There's a, a lot to be said, of course, for again, tact and diplomacy and those kinds of things. But at the same time, are you inspired? Are you inspired by and excited by God's truth? It says here, that's the purpose of this work. We declare God's message on television, in magazines, books, booklets, and via the internet. Any means by which we can deliver it in a quality way. You know, organizations that are putting out this kind of quality, they're charging a lot of money in return for it. They have to, because it's, it's costly to produce it. Well, God provides for his work. God supplies the funding. And it's so wonderful that we can go through, well, 55 minutes of content on this show. And usually, you just have a little 90-second promo that, is an in-house promotional. It's not paid for advertising. It's promos that we've made, <laughs> that we've produced. A lot of times we just go right through 55 minutes straight without, without even our own promos. And it's wonderful to go to the website or to open the pages of the Trumpet Magazine and to not just see, you know, 15 ads on each page. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but anymore. You know, you scroll through anything on the internet. There's some websites where you, you just go to the website, there's like six or seven pop-up ads. When I get to those, I just click, a, I'm, I'm going somewhere else where I don't have to click these boxes everywhere just to see the copy, just to see the text. It's God's truth. We just want to get it into the hands of as many people as possible. And it's easy to understand Mr. Armstrong talked about his education in God's truth, how that he was writing articles way back in the day before he even knew how to write, but he just thought, well, it's a good exercise and it'll help me to understand these subjects that I'm studying. As it turns out, he became quite the writer, quite the communicator over the course of his 50-plus year ministry. He wrote, education comes from study, from books, from lectures, from contacts, from travel, from thinking about what you see and hear and read and from experience. You know, it was wonderful just having a conversation with Lee Smith yesterday. You see just how clearly he can express his thoughts 
he thinks about what he sees and hears and reads. You can tell when you talk to him. He really knows his subjects well. It says here, the reason we have to maintain schools and universities is simply that most people are too lazy. Most lack the ambition and persistence, the drive to procure an education outside of schools and colleges. I mean, you need some prods. I certainly appreciate it when the college semester is in motion because there are built-in prods. I know, I know how lazy I would tend to be if I didn't have anything on the docket for, that, for today or the next several days. That schedule is, is wonderful. We need it. Mr. Armstrong's right. I mean, there's very few people that are just so, you know, self-motivated and ruling their own spirit so well that even without, you know, the, the deadlines of a normal day or a normal week, they still can produce. But that's rare. That's rare. And even, even there, I mean, it's after they've worked at it and, and developed that muscle, so to speak. But we need, we need God's truth. We need God's education. Look at what... Uh, Paul said to Timothy here, this is 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. It says, Let no man despise your youth, but be you an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Verse 13 says, Until I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Give attendance to studying. Give attendance to doctrine. You've got to know the doctrines. If you're going to be a teacher in the church, you've got to know what the church teaches. I think about that uh, encounter Mr. Armstrong had with the preacher. Oh, it must have been back in the 1930s or 40s where the preacher was out of a job and he, he asked Mr. Armstrong, do you know if there's any, uh, any openings with some of the local churches? And Mr. Armstrong says, well, as it happens, I, I know of this one, but... But that wouldn't work for you because you're not of that denomination. He said, oh, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't matter. I'll just preach what they want me to tell them. There's a lot of preachers like that in the world today. Preachers for hire. Preachers that, that will do it or say anything as long as they get the paycheck. The truth doesn't matter. With God's preachers, God's teachers, the truth is everything, of course. Malachi's message, referring to the Berean example, I mentioned that uh, a moment ago, but here you've got Paul's exhortation to Timothy, make, you know, until I get there, make sure you, you study, you know the doctrines. And then regarding the Bereans, they searched the scriptures daily. My father says, regarding that example, he says in Malachi's message, do you realize that your approach to Bible study helps reveal to God how noble you are. That passage says that the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because of their approach to Bible study. Do you search the scriptures daily with all readiness of mind, eager to see what the Bible says so that you can follow Christ more perfectly? It says God's, God's elect are very noble people when it comes to their Bible study. They love it. They love the truth. They have a real hunger and thirst for righteousness. Joel Hilliker, in an article he posted, this was last week, I believe, it was on learning to love thinking 
And he said that the hardest task in the world is also the most enriching. It, it's hard to deeply think on any given subject or topic. And, and people will let a lot of others do the thinking and the work for them. They'll happily pay for it. We were talking about term papers in, in uh, marriage and family the other day. And someone, one of the students joked on the way out with uh, one of our other students saying, well, you should, you should start up a business and write term papers for people. He was joking. But uh, the student's response was that, oh, I, there's plenty of businesses like that already in the world. Term paper mills where students will, I mean, these days with AI, you can produce it in two seconds. What a world we're in. To think of how many people just kind of cheat and lie their way through life. And in some cases, they end up all the way at the top of Harvard. A Harvard president. God's looking for something different. A real thinker. A real communicator. A real expert. I mean, the Bible says, look, this is our calling, our election. Our vocation, this is our, this is our profession. Christian living, knowing the Bible and living by it. Not that we're perfect yet, but that's the aim, that's the goal, Matthew 5, 48. So, so to arrive at perfection, the education has to continue, doesn't it? It never ends. Salvation, in fact, is education. We're saved by, by grace, through faith, by the power of Christ living in us. But we certainly have to do our part and subject our will to the perfect will of God the Father. That's all we have time for on today's show. The fastest moving hour in broadcasting. You are listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is... The Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow.